Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm very, very happy to have Chris Leake. And Chris has an incredible story to tell, even at the age of 33. And this is a bit about Chris. Uh, Chris has tackled the famous Enduro Man Arch to Arch Challenge, an unparalleled triathlon consisting of an 87-mile run from London's Marble Arch to Dover followed by a 21-mile swim across the English Channel. And then, if that isn't enough, a 181-mile bike ride from Calais to the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Only 34 people have ever completed the entire challenge solo, while only four individuals have completed on their own without wearing a wetsuit for the Channel Swim, an exclusive group that Chris not only joined, but did in a world record time, for a non-wetsuit solo effort of 69 hours and 29 minutes. Um, Chris is an amateur athlete with no professional training and he took the challenge for his father, Dennis, who has both Parkinson's disease and Lewy body dementia and is being cared for full-time by Chris's mother, Linda. He was aiming to raise awareness and a million pounds in sponsorship for the three charities, Parkinson's UK, Lewy Body Society, and Orpington Saxon Day Centre. The Enduroman A2A usually takes three years to train for. However, Chris attempted the Mammoth Challenge with only eight months of training. With this being said, between cold water swims in Dover Harbour and a 50-mile weekend runs around Kent, Chris's staining is still no small feat. So Chris, great to have you on board, welcome. Thank you very much. That's some introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and behind you, you have some quite key moments in your life um, since 2014. Do you want to take me through those, Chris, very briefly? Yeah, so uh, on my right-hand side is my, my first, first ever Ironman Challenge. Uh, it was in 2014 and in Dover. Um, one, of my, one of my proudest moments, actually. I, um, this is where I, I truly believed in uh, the word can and, and not the word can't. Um, the one behind my head is when I swam the English Channel in 2016, um, solo and non-wetsuit. Uh, a very proud moment for me and my family. Uh, this is where we raised £25,000 for Parkinson's. And this is when um, we saw a, a, a downturn in my, my father's health. And, uh, and then obviously on my left-hand side is the Arch to Arc and my uh, world record-breaking attempt uh, back in August of last year. So three moments I'm... I'm very, very proud of. Well, congratulations. And, and I know that you are uh, in demand as a speaker, telling your story, a 20 minute uh, extract of, of some of your experiences. And so we're very lucky to have you here today. And uh, the lovely thing about it, when we were chatting earlier on, you were saying that you were anxious and nervous. Tell us a bit about, about that, and the, 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 fear, the fear of being compared. Uh, I, I certainly suffer from imposter syndrome. And uh, I've been listening to some of the... Uh, 
the, the talks that you've done over the, the last few months. And um, John Perry, last night, the Vice President of, uh, of Asda Logistics, I listened to his amazing story and his experiences that he could share with, with the world. And uh, I felt uh, very small at the time. And uh, so thank you very much for, for having me on today. Well, you're certainly not very small. And, uh, and having only myself done five uh, sprint triathlons, I have huge admiration uh, for what you've achieved. So uh, also at your day job, tell us a bit about um, the, the, the sales role you've had. 12, 12 years you've been in um, ABN InBrev, and you've also been the personal trainer for the European Zone, doing some hip <laughs> training. Tell us a bit about both those two in a couple uh, of minutes. So I, um, I work for ABN InBrev, have done for 12 years, um, work in the sales function, and I've, I've done a number of different roles, uh, from the on-trade, um, working on accounts such as Tesco and Sainsbury's in retail. And over the last five years, I've been heading up the independent wholesale uh, sector and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that, learned a lot on the way. Um, I'm currently the UK export manager, uh, which is a completely uh, new zone, uh, leading a small team uh, in a new direction to ensure that we are profitable, sustainable, and here for the next hundred years. So enjoying the new challenge and, um, yeah, I've, I've worked for AB InBev for the last 12 years, uh, man and boy. <laughs> Good. Well, we're going to, at some stage, be talking about uh, your CEO, who, uh, after um, uh, Steve Jobs was voted the number one uh, most inspiring CEO, uh, Carlos Brito. And we're going to talk about him. But also, uh, people come on to this because they're recommended by other people. And, and uh, at the end, when we finish chatting, you're going to recommend someone to me who you think should be on this. Not when we're live, but we can talk about that. <laughs> but um, Austin Go, who um, I got to know through ACAST, the podcasting service, uh, was a school friend of yours. And he recommended right. you, said you're a very inspiring individual. He knew you from school days. And you got a first class degree from Sheffield Hallam. And what was interesting is that uh, his boss at ACAST, Joe, uh, also got a first at Sheffield Hallam. So there's <laughs> quite small, uh, small world and small connections. Talking about people that you've known and inspiration, because this whole series is about inspiring leaders. And uh, I love your strapline of being an ordinary man who can achieve extraordinary results. And you have already done that by the age of 33. Um, who's inspired you and who are the sort of two different groups of people who've inspired you, Chris? Uh, so for me, there's, there's two different types of people that inspire me. Uh, you've mentioned the first individual, uh, Carlos Brito, uh, probably slightly biased. He's been my CEO for the last 12 years, but he is, a, um, he is everything that a leader is about. He's very unique in, in what he does, but what he does do is he brings tens, hundreds of thousands of people uh, on a journey with him, and we're all facing in the, the same direction to achieve a very clear, concise vision. And um, I think that, that mantra that he kind of uh, portrays uh, energizes a, you know, a huge team globally. And um, yeah, I just thoroughly, work in, uh, thoroughly enjoy working for him. And, mm. uh, and yeah, like I say, um, he enables trust within all his teams. And um, yeah, he's certainly a, a, an inspiring leader to work for. Good. And what, what's the other group of people that uh, you, you called them ordinary, but none of them are ordinary, but this ordinary uh, people who achieve uh, extraordinary results, who would be in that? You had two, I think, if I remember. 
yeah, for me, ordinary people just inspire me. Um, I think since 2016, uh, a lady called Rachel Hill, um, incredible woman. Um, in, in 2016, she became the first woman to ever complete the A2A uh, non-wetsuit. And she'd done this uh, to manage uh, life challenges that we all go through. And, um, you know, really taught me that if, if you want to be able to do something, if you, if you truly believe you can, uh, if you dedicate the right amount of time, effort and energy, anything is possible. And, um, you know, I kind of took that and, um, you know, I was able to then achieve my dream in 2016 of swimming the channel. And, you know, this, this ordinary lady um, pushed me to, to, you know, further my dreams and, and my goal, goals um, and certainly pushed me outside of my comfort zone, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and what about our, our favourite hero, you and I, David, <laughs> David Goggins, the amazing David, David Goggins. <laughs> Definitely. Tell, tell people Goggins. about David Goggins because not everybody will know about this this um, this lunatic who is such an inspiration. <laughs> David Goggins is uh, is becoming very vocal over social media. He's um, you know he uses his military style. Uh, he he was a Navy SEAL. Uh, he had a very challenging upbringing, uh, but he's very much an extrovert. And what I like about uh, where Rachel is an introvert and has motivated and inspired me. David is the opposite. David is a very uh, big extrovert, um, but he knows his leadership style. And, you know, through uh, military kind of uh, inspirational stories, he, um, he's kind of toughened me up. Uh, and I needed that, that toughening up and, you know, that uh, healthy body, healthy mind mantra. Um, he talks in his book about the 40% rule. And this is something where individuals um, do not push past that 40%, even if it's in capabilities or in health and fitness. It's that, uh, it's that barrier, that wall uh, that people talk about, for example, during a marathon. And he's just an individual that taught me how to break down those walls of limitations that we put on ourselves. And uh, yeah, like I say, very much an extrovert, mm. but uh, a hard hitting motivational speaker. Yeah, that is great. And uh, um, the other thing we were talking about is learning from when you got things wrong as a young leader. You, you are very modest about the fact you've been in leadership, perhaps about five years in sort of leadership roles of teams or individuals. But actually, leadership is a choice. It's not a rank or a role. You know, you can choose to be a leader because you were a head boy at school and um, the things that you've done um, to lead others. But... Um, what would be your story of, of when you got it wrong or what you learned? I think my most challenging leadership time was uh, when I actually found out about my father's illness. Um, I was 16 at the time. Um, I was an average uh, school uh, pupil um, with, with uh, a lot of C's. And, um, you know, this, this news hit me hard. I think this is when I probably became that, that problem child. And I think we all have those moments in time. Mm. Um, I've always been a, a fitness fanatic. I was a, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed swimming and rugby in, uh, in my school days. And, uh, you know, started drinking and, and started smoking at the age of 16. Um, probably more of an excuse than actually really wanting to do it. And I think the impact that that had on my family is probably one of my toughest leadership 
moments, mm. um, wanting to kind of be that, that figurehead of the family when, when dad became poorly. Um, mm. So yeah, definitely learned a lot looking back um, and, and reflecting on, you know, over the, the course of the time that my father's been mm. in. And so when others who are listening to this have sons or daughters who kick off and go a little off the rails because of whatever the triggers are, what advice would you give them about how they handle their children and what they, the way they should play it? It's always a tough one. If, um, if, I, if I'm honest, um, in, in over the years, and, and there have been many examples, I think you need to truly understand the person. Uh, you need to truly understand if that person is, uh, is, is standing off to, to the mother or the father and, and maybe they need to bring in a, a different individual and get professional help. Um, but for me, it was all about listening. Uh, I think listening is, is super important. Uh, I, I sometimes find that people are half listening and then they're ready to put their point across without listening to the full sentence. And by not listening to the full sentence, you've probably missed uh, the trigger or the, or the main impact of, of that sentence. And, you know, for me, listening is, is key. You know, it creates that, that bond, that trust, uh, that safe environment. And um, be that personal or work, I think listening and creating that trusting relationship is, uh, is, is pivotal and critical to, uh, to getting people out of that, um, out of that troublesome time. Mm. I, I, I truly feel you've got, just in the short time I've got to know you, you've got wisdom beyond your years. Where, where do you learn the advice and the tips and the, and the mantras and things you've applied yourself as you've done these phenomenal ultra marathon activities? Uh, I, think, I think, you know, a big inspiration in, in my life is my father. My father was the, you know, the, the bread bringer of the family and my mother uh, brought up uh, me and my two elder sisters. Um, so I'd like to think that, um, you know, I'm, I'd like to say I'm half as, as good as my, my father was when, when he was in uh, peak health and fitness. Uh, my dad was a leader of a team of a, of a big corporate uh, firm. And so I feel that he could really listen and kind of help people in, in times of need. Um, I'm very fortunate. I, I have had a very good upbringing. Um, I enjoy listening to positive and motivational speakers. Um, I would be described as a positive um, uh, mindset kind of individual. Uh, I try and bat away negativity. It's, uh, for me, I, I'm not a fan of, of drainers. However, um, you know, always trying to, to be the best around people that need me. Um, and I think because of my father's illness and because of, you know, he probably didn't want to lead this life over the last 16 years it's it's made me grow up as an individual a lot quicker than i probably thought i i would mm. um and i and yeah it's kind of that family values i wanted to to kind of support the family and uh, and kind of take his role yeah. um no, no, that that's really means a lot and and also the other half of the equation your mum what did you learn from her qualities as um a mother, but also as a leader in the family. Um, I'm not the tallest person at five foot seven. Um, however, my mother, my mother's four foot eleven. 
Uh, and I think what the two of us have is uh, what we don't have in height, we certainly make up in heart. And what my mother has certainly taught me is the level of resilience. You know, my mother's retirement plan was not to be my father's full-time carer. Mm. And I, I sometimes think we, we maybe take for granted what the, you know, the NHS and the care system actually do for us. And uh, it is truly incredible. So my mother, you know, uh, is, is one of the most resilient women you'll ever meet. Um, mm. She, you know, always has a smile on her face. And, you know, she always tries to keep the family heading in the, in the right direction of, of supporting dad. And, um, yeah, a super, super big role model on, on me and, and the rest of the family, for sure. Very special woman. Very special woman. And then... What about amusing stories? I always love a, an amusing story. You were talking about one when you're in the channel. Come on, tell us that one. I think it's a great story. Uh, so during the Arch to Arc, um, I had just run 87 miles. Um, I was tired. Uh, my body was, uh, was in bits. And, and, you, and um, you slept after that? You had a sleep, did you? Uh, uh, I, I Before the swim? To sleep. I right. couldn't get to sleep. I, I was um, hooked up on too much adrenaline. Um, I'd been up now for 32 hours um, and, you know, I, I was kind of getting prepared for, for round two, you know, completing the run was phenomenal, but, you know, the, the end task was to complete the full A to A. And, you know, I, I, I call it an, an amusing leadership time because uh, looking back on it, it, um, it is amusing, but at the time it certainly wasn't. And, you know, four hours into my channel swim, I had a bit of a tantrum. I, you know, I'd been uh, having a tantrum for the fir first four hours of that swim. I was very tired, very cranky, and um, you know, my my body was very tired. And I threw my goggles at the boat, and uh, you know, was using very colourful language. And all of a sudden, my team, my full team, turned their back on me, and I couldn't believe it. I I didn't know what was happening. I was you know, I wanted some attention. Uh, I wanted the event to be stopped. But um, looking back and, and asking them why they all turned their back on me, it was kind of them showing me that I still had so much fight left in me. Um, to have the energy to, to kind of, you know, tread water in the middle of the channel with all these Arctic boats around me. Um, you know, they could really still see that I had something deep inside. Mm. And uh, yeah, by turning their backs on me, I think what was really proud for me is that dream that energized the full team, which was to complete the A to A in a record breaking time and also raising the money. They kind of took over the leadership at that moment in time. And, you know, I'm never afraid to say, when I don't know the answer or, you know, I don't know what to do and, and, and ask for support within the team. And, and that's exactly what they've done. And, you know, super proud of that moment. Otherwise I wouldn't be here today talking mm -hmm. to you and sharing my story, but uh, yeah, amusing now, but certainly weren't amusing uh, at the time. There's so many, uh, thank you for that. There's so many questions that come up for me. Like um, I've, I've, uh, hold a record for the double Cypress mountain marathon, but that's only two marathons over two days up a 6,000 foot mountain, but it's nothing compared to even your 87 mile run. I mean, 
when you're running at 87 miles, I mean, what, what happened? Did you, did you run con continually or could you stop and have refreshments? How, how did it work? Yeah, so the A2A, the stopwatch doesn't stop. So as soon as I left Marble Arch, the stopwatch, stopwatch started. Uh, that's a tongue twister. Um, and so, yes, I could stop and have a break. Um, but for the run, I, I ran continuously for 18 and a half hours. 18 um, and a half hours. But I think, I think what was really key about this was we, we had a plan, but we had the ability to adapt the plan at any moment in time. So my plan was to run 87 miles in 24 hours uh, and then have uh, seven hours break before I started to swim. Um, I started off way too fast, very excited, you know, had so much support living in Kent and running down. Um, you know, the Kent countryside, there was so much support um, that I got overly excited and was running way too quick, five mm. and a half hours mm. too quick. Mm. Um, five and a half hours too quick. <laughs> we, we adapted the plan and, um, you know, this is, I think this is, you know, testament to the team, really. Um, they managed my nutrition, they managed my, my, my water intake, um, you know, always sense check for, for feedback and injuries and, you know, how I was feeling. And honestly, I, I was on cloud nine. I feel like I could have, with the support that I received that for those 18 and a half hours, even at three o'clock in the morning, there was people that I, I worked with, David, Dave Gibson, um, at three o'clock in the morning, he moved his sofa from his living room 20 miles down the countryside and was sitting in a petrol station <laughs> with a homemade flag uh wishing me all the best and he he worked with my father back in the 90s and you know it's moments like this at incredible times that people wow. had you know gone to huge levels to, to kind of support me and you know i thank every single one of them wow that's just amazing well i mean uh, it's an interesting point about this overdoing things and we can do this as leaders we can overdo things one of the things jim richardson was saying the brigadier the other day in this time of crisis, work at 80% rather than 100%. Save your 100% for the moments you have to get up to 100%, but then you've got to come down again, otherwise you burn yourself out. But, but I think about when I did the Nicosia Marathon, and it was incredible heat in Cyprus, and, and I overdid it. And I was achieving record times, but I got heat stroke and heat exhaustion. So when I had collapsed three, 300 meters short, I then got dragged up by two other friends who very kindly lifted me up. They were runners who stopped to pick me up. And then I crossed the line, but I was in, in an ambulance after that because I'd really almost kill myself off. And, um, but, but you doing this, and how did you stop yourself overdoing things? I mean, you were five and a half hours faster than planned, but what, what stopped you not blowing yourself up? I think similar to the example you just mentioned about yourself, I think, uh, during training, I think you have to listen to yourself. You have to listen to your body. Um, I didn't have any professional coaches, but the, the likes of Rachel, who, who mentored me over the last uh, two or three years, we built a very close bond. Um, you know, gaining advice from, from you know, fellow athletes. I think, um, I think it's critical to, to kind of listen to your body, uh, but also gain that, that feedback and take it on board. I had several moments that, that you kind of mentioned, I, I entered a, a 50 mile race and, um, as training and it went very well. I then entered a, another 50 mile race that I was 
truly overconfident. Um, I thought uh, I'd set my uh, my goals extremely high. I wanted to actually win the event. Uh, told everyone I would, and probably a, a moment I look back on that uh, I learned a lot. I actually ended up coming last, uh, and the race taking an additional four hours. Poor preparation. Um, I kind of, you know, took my finger off the ball uh, for, for a moment of time and, uh, you know, truly suffered. And, uh, you know, not to be too cocky, uh, training was going really well uh, and to, to kind of learn from your mistakes. I, I think that's uh, great of you to share that because many people would hide the, the things they got wrong or any failings they made. And, and I've had more, more blunders and mistakes than you've had hot dinners. But it's lovely of you to share that because I think both as leaders, so that the parallels between doing something endurance and being a leader, yeah. uh, seeing things through over a long period of time, are very close. And, and sometimes we are arrogant and we do get cocky and we uh, suffer from this, this goal obsession that we've got to achieve the summit or we've got to achieve this time. And, and we're not prepared and things go wrong and we have to learn from it and not be obsessed about the goal when, when things have changed. What's your view on that kind of experience? Well, for me, uh, leading a small team uh, or, you know, work or, or personal, I live by a mantra that, um, you know, I didn't foul that day because winners never foul. They win or they grow. And um, for me, I, I, I truly learned that day that, um, you know, training wasn't going great. And, you know, you only foul if you quit. Um, so yeah, winners never quit. They win or they learn, they win or they grow. And, you know, that, that day I, I truly went to some places that some dark, dark places and, you know, found out some gaps and, um, you know, learned from it. I grew from it. And then, uh, you know, I took that to the next stage to, to ensure that I didn't, you know, foul because I would never quit, but, uh, you know, turn it into a winning mentality. Very, very interesting, Chris. And, and you were sharing a tip you had about, um, as a manager, um, allowing some of your team colleagues to struggle in the water, or as you call it, to drown, not literally to drown. Do you want to just share a bit about that and, and what you learned as a, a, recent, a recent leader and manager that you'd pass on to others as, as wisdom? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, my, my, my current uh, leader, um, Yoshian Grief, he, uh, he taught me something recently that, uh, that really stuck with me. And I always listen to feedback and, and I'm a bit of a sponge, you know, I've got a lot to learn. And he said to me that it's okay to allow team members to drown sometimes, as long as you're there to pull them out in time. And, you know, with me being English and, and Yoast being Dutch, I kind of wanted to, to understand a little bit more. And, and what it was that he was trying to say to me was, it's okay to allow other people to make mistakes. Allow them to, to learn from their mistakes, to, to make sure that they don't do it again. And, um, you know, I, I kind of truly believe in that. I think it's a mindset that, you know, that maybe uh, as leaders, we, we may sometimes try to shelter uh, colleagues around us but um, sometimes it's good to to give them that exposure and to and to learn from f 
from mistakes and um yes uh you know embracing kind of uh, autonomy and, and giving those uh, colleagues to to kind of really step up and challenge um allows them to to kind of jump over the uh, the boat and 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 maybe start drowning but that you're there to kind of pull them out just in time i i so agree with that and um Indeed, someone taught me some years ago that life mis and mistakes are inevitable, indeed compulsory, but learning from them, that's yes. optional. <laughs> yeah. That's optional. Yeah. The one bit's uh, inevitable, the other one's optional. And many people get upset about mistakes and they blame everybody else and it's nothing to do with them. And, and what can I learn? How can I get even better? I think that's great. Okay. So... What about uh, upbringing and um, what shaped you uh, into the leader you are today at a young age of 33 uh, and, and how you ended up doing these kind of in intense ultra competitions? Tell us a little bit, of, in about five minutes or so, a bit about your life. Yeah, um, so um, I had a very good upbringing. I was very fortunate to, to live in a very uh, happy, loving family. Uh, my mother and father have been married for for 40 years and um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I have two elder sisters. Um, average academic child. Um, I say that I'm, you know, uh, I'm certainly not the, the cleverest in the room, but I'm certainly the most driven uh, to, to, you know, try and make uh, the, the best results and, and have impact. Um, and yeah, went to university at uh, the age of 18, went to Sheffield Hallam University. Certainly learned a lot about myself uh, during those three years. Um, I got into the first team in the rugby team, which was I was super proud of, uh, and then broke my leg. Um, with no family, no friends around me, uh, kind of had to make a decision whether I was gonna see this out or if I was gonna take the easy route and, and, and go back home uh, to, you know, recover from the, the fractures, um, but decided to stay, uh, build up that resilience. You know, you have to then lean on your, your, your housemates who become your teammates. And um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed kind of my, my upbringing. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly, I've certainly learned a lot from, as mentioned, my father and his leadership, uh, but, subconsciously you know that you know that from my mother from uh, from her resilience as well and uh, and also from my friends they've 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 always inspired me in different ways um for example the iron man uh, that i mentioned earlier um a friend challenged me that i couldn't do something was that matthew uh, it was matthew yep yeah, he's uh you know when i was was when i was thinking about this podcast i didn't realize how much of an influence he had on my on my upbringing, um, you know, he was always the best football player and, you know, very clever at school and kind of, a, I admired him. And, uh, you know, the, the, the can't mentality is something that, something inside me, just, just, I don't believe in the word can't. And I enjoyed proving uh, Matthew wrong. And, and we still joke about it to, to this day. He was, the, he was the start of this ultra journey that, that I've been on over the last six years. Yeah, well done. Well done, though. Very impressive. And let's talk about, um, we'll end with some leadership tips in about five minutes or so, but what about um, some of the proudest moments 
of your career. And, and before we do that, I'm still in the back of my mind, curious about when you were in that, that swim across the channel. And uh, I mean, it's 21 miles and you've not got a wetsuit on. It, it must've been freezing, wasn't it? And didn't you meet jellyfish or <laughs> didn't you have a sort of shark swim by and go, what the, what, what was that? What was that? You know, like, I mean, you're like your jaw, da, 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 da. Like, what, what was it like? Tell me. I certainly didn't watch Jaws before I, uh, before I started the swim. I started the swim at um, 12.30 at night, so it's pitch black. Uh, and I think that was one of the reasons that I was having my uh, mental struggles and physical struggles over the first four to five hours. Uh, was then lucky enough to watch the sunrise with, uh, with my support team on the boat, uh, and that kind of got us through a, a grey patch. Um, the, the water's around 16 degrees and you know there's a, a fantastic group of people down in Dover in Kent called the Dover Channel Training uh, Team and um, you know they're an incredible set of people around 60 people uh, swim the channel each year and uh, so yeah there's a few other mad hatters and uh, you know that's that's a, a different sort of family down there for me um, you know it's very cold it's very cold I'm, I'm not a Ashamed to say it, that uh, in 2016, when I swam the channel, my testicles went back up, and I, I learned <laughs> what it was like to be a 14-year-old boy again when I when I warmed back up. But um, yeah, the the, the proud one of my proudest ever moments uh, was the swim last year, getting through the the, the struggles, um, getting towards near the end. I. I broke a rule, which is when you, you know, you, you never look for France because it never gets any closer. And uh, I've done that for the last four hours and it, yeah, it never got any closer. But my, my other team, uh, I had a team on the boat and then I had a team waiting for me in, in France. They were all there on the beach. I was very lucky to land on a, a sandy beach. And I've got an amazing vi a video uh, that uh, just a passerby took of uh, me walking up uh, not very James Bond-esque, um, <laughs> onto, the, onto the beach and, you know, my, my amazing wife was there and I just broke down. I just broke down into her arms, fell on my knees. It was very Hollywood. But, you know, my reason why, which is my father, my drive, uh, had got me there, you know. Uh, I always say, find your drive, set yourself a goal and become obsessed and slightly unbalanced. Uh, especially for something um, this challenging. And we kind of achieved goal number two, which was always going to be the, the challenging goal, the, 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 the hardest goal of the three. And it was just, it was just an incredible moment. I had um, uh, some of my friends there, my family, my sister, my oldest sister was on the boat. And uh, yeah, my family were live on Facebook. And uh, mm. it was just a very special moment. And it's kind of a, a moment that I will cherish, certainly for the rest of my life. Uh, no, very, very impressed by what you did. And um, uh, what about the, what about the, um, the, the, the 181 mile bike ride? I mean, were there any uh, dramas there that you had to recover from or moments when you were down and you needed to pick yourself back up? So from, from when I had uh, landed on the beach, I then had to swim back to the boat and the boat had to take us back up to Calais so I could go through passport control, um, which 
probably would be uh, slightly more challenging now. Where's my, where's my passport? Oh my God, where's my passport? <laughs> <laughs> so we got, we got through passport control and, and like I said, the team in France uh, were there uh, with my bike, uh, with the car, the support vehicle. Um, I had a quick McDonald's um, and then I was straight on the bike. So there was no time to, to kind of celebrate. We had a celebratory McDonald's, we say, to celebrate that milestone. But it was back onto the job, back focusing. Um, it was now around um, 10 o'clock at night. So it was getting dark. Had all my reflective gear on. Um, but you're, you're cycling down dual carriageways with massive Arctic trucks going past you at, you know, 60, 70, 80 kilometers an hour. You're very tired. I'd now been up for. Um, circa 50 hours uh, with no sleep so you know and what that does to your body you know hallucinations for example so I, I'm always honest and I knew that I was on track to break the world record and the only thing that was going to stop me was external factors uh, which was being knocked off the bike uh, by a car or um, you know the, the the team leading me the wrong way but i was i was never too worried about that but believe it or not uh one mile before the uh arctic trion i actually got knocked off my bike no uh, at, at, at a traffic light and uh we laughed and giggled about it because i was just so exhausted that uh you know rachel looked into my eyes and said you need to focus for another four or five minutes and then it's yours and uh yeah we nearly had a big hiccup towards the end but uh, we got through it well, well done. And you hold a world record, is that right? Yeah, yeah, for the, for the uh, non-wetsuit. For the non-wetsuit. Uh, non uh, uh, yeah. Well, phenomenal. And so let's, um, this has been fascinating. There's so much more I could ask you about. Um, you have a book coming out that your mate Matthew is writing with you. Um, and I'm sure you've got a speaking circuit ahead of you and lots of fame and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, learning yeah. from that at the same time as you know learning about being a leader in uh, ABM InBev so so lovely having you on the series uh, leave, leave us with um, a few a few tips of of your positivity and how you um, have a, approached things and things you'd pass on to others as useful tips for real ordinary blokes and women out there so for me uh, I mentioned at the beginning I, I truly do have a positive mindset and I think it's, uh, it's key to have a positive mindset to, to really kind of support a team, uh, especially in times of challenge. Um, there's a famous word, uh, Ouija, in uh, Chinese that actually means crisis and opportunity. And so whenever there is a crisis, remember Ouija and um, the G, J-I, uh, actually means opportunity. Um, so that's, that's kind of one top tip that I kind of live by. Um, I'm also, you know, keen on, you know, believing in one another. If it wasn't for my team um, on that journey, then um, again, I wouldn't be here with you now. You know, they, you know, believe and give them autonomy, uh, believe in one another, you know, create that trusting environment. Um, we always say in our meetings, no questions, a silly question. Um, you know, if you do not know the answer, you need to ask. And, um, don't be afraid of that open and honest feedback and um, you know just be genuine to yourself don't try and be something you're not those are just some of the key leadership tips that I try and live by every day and um, yeah I, I thoroughly enjoy learning 
how to become a better leader from, from other people. Excellent. Well, Chris, you certainly are an inspiration to me and so many other people. And it's thanks to Austin who recommended you. And people come on this series because others recommend them. It, they don't come on because they tell you how inspirational they are themselves. And uh, you were very modest about feeling you're not. I think you're massively inspiring. You certainly inspired me today. So thank you. And um, really, uh, final word, anything you want to leave people with before we go? I think you've, you've shared such a lot, but any, any final thoughts? I think for me, you know, a healthy body equals a healthy mind, you know, um, just make sure that, that you're getting out there, being active, whether that's a 30 minute walk, whether that's a 5k or, or you know, setting yourself a goal of, of running a marathon. Um, it truly does help with anxiety, with stress. And, um, you know, I urge everyone to get active because I truly believe that uh, with a healthy body equals a healthy mind. and you know, with a healthy mind, you know, your world's your oyster. Chris, thank you very much. Great having you on the Inspiring Leadership Series. Thank, thank you. you very much for having me. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.